Hello and welcome to this week's Stats Mom podcast with me, James York. And... Thank you, Newton. <laughs> God, James. You'd think we'd have this down by now. Board of the podcast or board of, board of everything? Which is it you're bored of, Ted? Oh, God. Yeah, the boredom. The endless, endless boredom. <laughs> but it's normally about now you and you and uh, messages one of us saying that, James, you're much louder than Ted. So I'll. I'll anticipate that happening. Well, I'm. Um, I, I do like this though. It's nice to sit down and talk to somebody. And today I got James, and last week I had Oliver Bartlett. And I think that one went really well. Uh, so check it on the Twitch archive, but also on Statsbomb YouTube page, and also on the podcast archive. So I think that went. I mean, you could tell me. You could tell me if you hated it. You know, it's okay, James. No, but this is the thing. It's, it's a, you know, with a few interesting people trying to get interesting people that you don't necessarily hear from like regularly in this in our little certainly in our little space. Um, Marcotti was the first one. So we had a journalist, football related stuff. Yeah, and then this this past week was Oliver Bartlett, who is um, sort of fitness, um, not like guru, but like preparation and sports science uh, expert. Worked with uh, Klopp and uh, Roger Schmidt and the DFB and. Lots of places. Uh, and then this coming week, who we got? You got Emma Hayes. Yeah, we do. Emma Hayes. And two weeks from now, you get a huge crossover episode, which is kind of cool. Yeah, we've got Neil Atkinson from the Anfield Rap. I was, yeah, we need to discuss this. How we you're Because you're, we should have to do that as well very briefly, you're doing the set-piece course next week, next week, Ted. So how the hell are we going to do a live podcast while you're teaching set-pieces to the it world? It starts at four. So you're literally just going <laughs> to just jump from one to the other? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe next week. Yeah, maybe next week's initial stats one podcast might be a little shorter. Fifty minutes, might be a half not an hour a, job, <laughs> not sixty. Uh, yeah. So next week um, uh, on Monday at four p.m. Uh, British time, the set pieces course will start. It's uh, done as a webinar. Um, I'm going to teach it live, and we'll go through all of my slides. Uh, it'll be analyzing and designing and coaching set pieces. And as I've said before, we have a, a pretty unique way. That we go about doing this stuff uh, based off of our past experience, uh, but also research. Um, I do like to teach this in person because there's some physical stuff that I like to to show, but uh, we'll do our best um, as, a, as a webinar type thing. Uh, and then, yeah, obviously uh, next week you've got Neil from the Anfield Rap, and that's like super cool because I'm actually a big fan, and, and, and Neil's like one of the best talkers in the world, has an amazing accent. Uh, so yeah, what are we going to do today though, James? Uh, we're not just going to talk about what we're going to do next week. No, we've got three topics that we lined up basically. Um, and they are in order and we're going to talk about what happens if the season ends today. Uh, yeah, good question. <laughs> Don't know. <laughs> but I'm sure Ted's got strong ideas on that. No. Uh, I'll, I'll riff along. I've done some background just to, just to see where everything's kind of lined up as it stands. Um, then we're going to talk about uh, the Pro Scouting project and we're going to do a bit of a dive on one of the players that we've identified from there so that'll be interesting and then finally we're going to wrap up with uh, a look at season two of the wire which uh, i completed a little while ago uh because it's like crack cocaine of tv <laughs> so i flew through that's it that's a little too real uh, there. it's mostly about heroin james <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty pretty fun and then yeah so you you know the series well but um uh, we, so we're going to go over that. So yeah, where, where, where do we go, Ted? We need a slide. We need. We've, we've just got the intro slide up here. So the first slide give, says lawyers. More. <laughs> yeah. So what happens if the season ends right now? Slide number one: lawyers. I think that's the truest, truest thing. I mean, it's so without precedent. I don't think anyone knows 
how to progress through this uh, this kind of like this season ending. And every month that goes by, or every few weeks that goes by, it feels like the the solving of the problem becomes uh, a little bit more kind of mm, paramount. Um, should I say? And some league, we've seen some leagues recently. I mean, I know Dundee United uh, won their title without playing. Match yeah, Scot- Scotland kind of leapt in with both feet, as the Scottish are prone to do, uh, <laughs> and then basically have resolved their their league. Um, and so, like, we probably should should set up a little structure around this instead of just jumping straight into it. But basically, a lot of teams out there are struggling, and obviously, the coronavirus is is the the reason behind it, um, there are teams that were struggling before the coronavirus, which tells you exactly how bad they would be right now. Uh, the season has been delayed uh, an indeterminate amount of time. And in some cases, you've got the German Bundesliga that's looking to start matches again um, as of you know potentially mid-May. And then you've got everybody else looking around wondering what the hell they're supposed to do and and you've got plenty of places that are like well this isn't important i'm like look i get it it's it's not the most important thing but it is kind of existential for quite a number of footballing entities out there and so it is important in that sense not in the public health sense that you shouldn't necessarily care about this but certainly in the do i care about my football club or do people care about football and how might that turn out so that's where we're at right now and the James, and, and so because of that, um, you have this circumstance that says, what are we supposed to do? And and you, I, I can tell you factually, running football matches and having to pay your players, but also not being able to have any of the match day income is a, is a huge net cost for almost every football team in the world. Uh, you know, the ones that have amazing TV deals are lucky enough to potentially be able to bypass a lot of this, but not all of it, because like they they often have massive uh, match day revenue and that's part of their budget. But the question, like, it doesn't look like anybody's going to be able to have fans in the stadium outside of Belarus uh, anytime, possibly even this year. So now we're faced with you know a series of questions, and and I yeah. wanted to talk about it a little today because it feels like this is creeping along, and UEFA are giving more guidance, and Scotland have already jumped, so felt like it was topical. Yeah, I mean things we're seeing things today. I think the Oktoberfest in Munich got cancelled today, right? So you know when you're thinking of things that are that far out, and that does make some some sense, like it, what a lot of events are large and require months and months of planning and if you're sitting here now thinking like what well, what are we going to do many months in the future then you know maybe it maybe this is the right decision to uh, to think and to do you know to cancel and to do something else so yeah lot, lots of things in that regard I, I think there's bound to be marketing people uh, attached to various leagues around the world thinking like if we can get our league get up and running first like our viewership is going to be absolutely off the charts. Oh sure, so, uh, you're looking at like a yeah. million a game being bet on freaking Belarusian football, which is never in the history of the world actually happened unless that match was fixed. So yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of a lot of angles for it to 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 be. You know, don't get me wrong. I'm not I'm not playing down the the, the health risks at, or, and you know the health issues at all. They are obviously you know the most paramount thing. But there will definitely be people out there thinking like, if we can just get our league running to some level of uh, you know, interest, then yeah, you're right. The gambling companies, TV companies, you know, the viewership would be absolutely off the charts. So at at some point where someone has created a safe space for this 
the league foot league football to you know restart. Um, yeah, there's going to be there's going to be a lot at stake there. Um, Safe space, not just for college campuses anymore. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, obviously the lawyers is the big the big thing, and that's the the bigger the league, probably the more likely it is that that lawyers get involved. And the one that you're just sure cannot be resolved amicably in any way, shape, or form is the championship to the Premier League. Like there are yeah. there are teams out there that are scrapping for this. They have spent fucking fortunes on putting themselves potentially in position to to get there, and they will not take that standing down. Uh, Chris Anderson, who's a longtime um, stats guy, been around the football since like even before I got started. Uh, you know, was was suggesting that you know no relegation from the Premier League promote the top two automatically like across the English league pyramid. But you know, if you look at it, I'm yes, technically Leeds and West Brom pretty strongly likely to to go up. Um, but man, that's a fight. So anyway, I don't want to ruin James's slide here because I know he's got lots of slides to explain the whole perspective. Yeah, no, there's, there's, a, there's a few slides with just just the kind of the basic info on them. Uh, yeah, we flip to the first, the first one. Yeah, so what what's happening if the season ends right now in England? Basically, Liverpool are champions. I don't think anyone, you know, apart from the obvious, you know, the the banter. Uh, the banter world and asterisks and such. No one's going to really begrudge a Liverpool title, uh, given that they were a couple of wins away from it. Uh, the, the top fours is is relative, relatively okay. Oh no, um, sir! <laughs> <laughs> you look at it and it's like, well, you know, there's, it, it's not. I was I, I was going through this and I feel like you know, if you're on the same points as someone, or you, or if you if you pl- you haven't played a game and someone's ahead of you and you're only a point behind them and stuff it feels like un, un, it feels just fundamentally harsh or unfair but you know if you've got more points and you've played in the same amount of games there's, there's nine matches then... left but there's this thing with manchester city where they might not actually be getting a spot so it's not nine matches left oh, I'd, for, I'd forgotten all about that oh my god hey, hey, welcome welcome back james <laughs> yeah when did that happen oh yeah so, so man city might not be getting a spot so it looks like it's like yeah. uh, sort of clean where you get 82 57 points for city 53 points for, for Leicester, who are sort of cruising on him. And then Chelsea with 48 points. But the reality is, if City are not involved here, suddenly you've got 53, 48, 45 for United in fifth, 43 for Wolves in sixth, and Sheffield United sitting there at 43, and some scruffy, shitty team named Tottenham at 41. So like, it's a lot tighter fight than it looked like if you chuck out City. Mm. Yeah, all right, but there's still there's still fundamentally you know differences in points. So I I I don't know. If you make a tough decision, then then I feel like then you can draw the line where the line exists. Okay, that, people won't like it. That's fine. But the relegation tough decision. Relegation is where it, it, the relegation it falls is apart. The, re- the relegation <laughs> is. <laughs> Sorry, I'm tickled by this because I find it like highly amusing. Not least because like Villa are there with a, po- a game in hand, so like that screws yeah. it all up. <laughs> I'm not even sure what that game in hand is. I mean, I, yeah, I'm sure someone will be someone. Uh, looks like either Arsenal or Sheffield United, or or City. Okay. <laughs> <Hmm>. <laughs> yeah, but I mean that does that doesn't matter. And anything can happen. But yeah, how how you resolve that like equitably? Uh, with you know West Ham, Watford, and Bournemouth all on twenty-seven points, uh, and Villa on twenty-five with the game in hand. I mean, this is the thing. What do you do? You, you, right, we're not going to relegate Villa because because we, we can't because of some kind of points per game thing, or whatever reason. And uh, but we're going to relegate Bournemouth. <laughs> it's like you can't do that. 
That's not fair. Mm. And then you can't actually relegate Villa without the you know without the accepting the fact that they could win that game in hand because they could. I mean, I I I do not like <laughs> the good thing about other leagues in Europe is they ain't got none of this. Some teams have played more games than other teams uh, nonsense going on quite so readily as as we have in England. I think uh, when I went down the kind of the the English pyramid, it was there was like a lot of these kind of these these difficult decisions that kind of uh, came came to you know came to be seen. Well, one of the matches that got postponed was the Arsenal City one, right? Like that one got postponed because of the. Um Olympiaco stuff? I think that's correct. Anyway, yeah, it's it's like dusting off knowledge that you haven't needed in, you know, six weeks now because that was the last time that anything occurred. Uh so yeah, it's that this is where the first slide actually takes precedence because lawyers like look like they might be involved. And if you yeah. if you do relegate them, like you're looking at you know, both ways up and down the the into the Premier League and, and out of it, like a difference of something like seventy five to hundred million, depending on how you do the calculation. So like ooh. yeah. I mean, I feel I feel like the champion the championships almost almost it's you know it's not it's not easily resolvable. But the fact that Leeds and West Brom are, are like hap, like clear, I don't know. It just it feels like there's some moral moral kind of underpinning as to like you don't mind bringing them up. The playoffs is just a mess because you've got not nine teams each within a win of the playoffs. So you, even if you if you draw a line, you, it feels a little harsh on some. Yeah, uh, and. Yeah, like how, and then how do what are you doing with with teams coming down from from the Premier League if they're even coming down? So I, yeah, I, I don't personally object to the idea of a twenty-two team Premier League with Leeds and West Brom in it if if, if that's the only way through. You know who I mean, objects to that? Hmm? Go the on. Fulham object to that. Uh, Brent, Brentford's <laughs> super duper object to that. Best best goal difference yeah. in the league. Like had a really rough start, but it had been like incredibly spicy. Someone's going to object to everything now. I guess I guess that's the thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. You know, you, who, who's who's got the who's got the uh, fewest lawyers on retainer? They they're going to miss out. Well, and the seller of the championship is actually quite interesting because Charlton who we had talked about very early on this season, not looking nearly as good as their metrics when they were up in like third or something mm. dumb. And we're like, that that can't last. They have not pulled the ripcord on their parachute. And so they are at 39 points. Hull on 41, Wigan on 41, Middlesbrough on 41, Huddersfield on 42, uh, and Stoke on 42. Now, yeah, only one of those is likely to get relegated because Luton and Barnsley are, are further back. But still, nine games left, like, Charlton got to feel like, hey, we at least have a chance here, and they have better goal difference again. Uh, so yeah, do we just do we just hang on? We, so we're taking we're taking two two teams out of <laughs> on the hoof here. Well, I've, I've personally just taken two teams out of the championship, making twenty two team Premier League. Now we've got uh, league, league um, two is going to be weird. Twenty two, right? <laughs> twenty two left. Yeah, twenty two left in the championship. So we need two more. Coventry can come up. That's fine. They're clear and with a game. Yeah, Coventry hand. definitely coming up. <laughs> <laughs> so we're up to twenty three in that. Rotherham. <laughs> Not sure. Yeah, bottom of League One is weird because you've got uh, very obviously. So you've only got twenty three teams in there. And Southend and Bolton look extremely doomed. Like they, you know, they they would have got relegated within a matter of games anyway. Um, so yeah, I mean, what do you do? Do you just do you just try and balance the leagues? Because every time you add 
had more teams to one league, you've got a problem in the next league down, and the next league down, the next league down. I well, feel like nobody Barry should exist, be punished right? who's who's in a risk position. I don't. Barry know. don't exist anymore, it's, so you actually yeah. do have to bring someone into the league from next year, right? <laughs> I don't. Has that been resolved? I, I honestly, I actually don't know. I don't know how they how they're going to resolve the you know the twenty three teams in League One. Uh, well, they're just auto promoting three, and then they'll bring up an extra team from the. Um, Conference. Yeah, exactly. So the conference will get three promotions as opposed to two, which is also pretty interesting. So yeah, and, and this this is the thing. Like, there is no good way to resolve any of this that doesn't leave just like everyone angry. Uh, and <laughs> I thank you to the coronavirus for doing this. But the factual point is also all of these teams down here. So there there was a a thing today where uh, it, they were looking closely at just calling League One and League Two. And and the reason mm. why is because the TV deal down there is is dire, right? I think you get like 1.5 million pounds for a TV deal down there um, uh, like per team. And you might have gotten more, but nevertheless, like there's no reason for them to like wait it out because every time you have to pay an appearance mode, it's like you're paying an expense that you don't really want to pay. Uh, I don't know. Like it's, 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 and it's ugly. I think down there there's... There's a bigger problem, isn't there, with regards to like player contracts and stuff? Because yeah. you get a hell of a lot of rotation, like what year to year. So you know, all players will be on. A con- so once you do get to, you know, June the thirtieth is, is this kind of like line in the sand where obviously nearly all player contracts expire. Um, and I think yeah, as you go down the pyramid, you you, you probably don't really want to do anything post June the thirtieth. Like League Two is um, probably more than fifty percent of the players are out of contract as of June thirtieth. Right, exactly. So yeah, so it, it makes sense. It makes sense to to create a, a, a to make a decision and follow through with that decision prior to that point. Um, obviously, higher leagues, uh, you know, certainly the Premier League and you know across across Europe, there might might be uh, more a, a stronger argument to at least extend uh, extend past uh, past this. But like, how brutal this, is this, it? This right? Like, so. Sunderland are on fifty nine mm. points with thirty six games played. Uh, Wickham are on 59 points with 34 games played. They're seventh and eighth in the in League One. Like getting the championship mm. is a difference of like five to five and a half million per year just in TV money. And I mm. you know like the the Fighting Joy Bartons are right there on 60. Uh, Peterborough, who like have had an interesting season, uh, ups and downs, and their their CEO I think is always in the media. Uh, Pompey on on 60 as well. Oxford on 60. Like that that might have had the most exciting potential playoffs, and then rather there's, right there, yeah, there's so. quite there's quite a few interesting teams I think um, just in that little cluster, the top of league uh, top of League One. I think yeah, certainly it's it, it's going to be a shame if if they don't get to kind of duke it out fairly for the for the championship slots because yeah i mean i think as over time we see we see i think smart smarts are increasing down the football pyramid is probably the most diplomatic way i can put it and um uh yes yeah, everywhere top, except for the one i think everywhere except for the club that has a tv program <laughs> yeah yeah maybe don't have a tv program as a as an idea i, I don't no, know no no i i'm something that are fascinating to watch like that that documentary is uh is heartening in a lot of ways but also like heartbreaking too and it's it's interesting to see like us have opinions from the outside uh but not having the have the details and then watch the details and be like well those are justified hey here we go ted the, an- the answers in the in the chat one relegation from league two three relegations from league one only two promotions from the not the national league so that's uh yeah one down from league two and two up so that's how that's how that's been resolved ah uh, okay but yeah it's right so should we have a quick look at europe as well because I, I've, I've done european leagues 
by the way, the, yeah, the person in the chat there, I believe, is uh, well affiliated with uh, with how those are going to go. So. <laughs> yeah, it would know. <laughs> Let's take that as red. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, so this is this is what's going on in Europe because I don't know how how you solve this one. So yeah, Juve, Bayern, Barcelona, and PSG get the title. God, not Juve again! Con- Come on. <laughs> It's kind of it's kind of not fun to to, to see Lazio and Real Madrid that, that just feels, kind of like miss out. That feels like there. super unfair on on everybody else involved in that league. That Juve with a worse goal difference on one point better. They look like they're they're, they're poachable this year. Like Lazio have been crushing it. Uh, Atalanta, you know, the one of the best two goal differences there, but not quite in the in the running. But no freaking Juve again. Sorry. <laughs> there is there is some kind of like order though you know the the top four are clear on points so you know you get your asterisk title and the and the champion they have ten games left is is okay it's okay it's not okay um, it's not okay <laughs> competitive here Com- damn it comparatively okay uh, I'm relegating Spal and Brescia and Lecce are unlucky Bene- Benevento are coming up because they're twenty points clear. Uh, and then playoff, playoffs in Serie B. I remember some years ago being tasked with, um, <laughs> I, I think it was a, a, job, a potential job that I had. It never, it never came to fruition, but it was quite interesting. And it was uh, what, what, it, what it meant that a team had to come up from Serie B uh, to Serie A for the job to come to fruition. And I spent, I remember being <laughs> stranded, stranded with poor Wi-Fi on holiday, trying to follow the the Serie B playoffs and not really understanding how it worked because they were these kind of. Um, uh, away goals counted in some way, but only if you were the home team. Uh, it, no, that doesn't make sense. But it was really complicated. <laughs> it was really, it was really. Maybe awkward. that's why you didn't get the just, job, James. You couldn't understand yeah, the actual process <laughs> to get promoted. I, I was just staring at this, uh, staring at this kind of like you know app on my phone, trying to work out if this team had qualified or not qualified, or not even knowing it. it was. So yeah, I'm not. I'm not even going to try and explain Serie B, Serie B playoffs. Um, but yeah, Bene- Benevento can can whatever, if they decided to finish a the league, they they would they should. Uh, should enter a higher league. That's that's uh, that's true. Okay. Um, other leagues, anything stand out for you there? We got we got Bundesliga, La Liga, and Liga, and kind of kind of logged up. There's some sense around most of these. Yeah, it's a little frustrating in that. Um, yeah, Bayern looked like they were catchable for a while, and then managed to to pull away. And actually, Hansi Flick has now gotten the permanent job there, I believe. Uh, Dortmund on 51, uh, Rosenballsport on 50 and that that league has been like super competitive and you know longtime friend of of stats bomb the podcast and the website uh fighting renee marriages and marco rosas would also get that automatic promotion spot to 49 that's, but it looks like they're the gonna right, play that's the right it's the right top four though if that if that comes if that comes through i i, I think you know if we'd all be I'd, I'd remotely be content if that was the top four in germany this season so and it, but it, it does know, look I, like germany is is like gearing up to play and it and if you had to attach sort of a competence meter to anybody in in europe like you would give the germans like decent credit that they they might be able to pull this off mm, no yeah. and well, as much as anyone. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> may, may, maybe this maybe just comes ha- through. Hamburg uh, not being that, by the way, that that playoff and Hamburg probably being yeah. the third playoff team, but again, like, you know, nine matches left and they're only three points ahead of Heidenheim. Tiny, tiny Heidenheim. And Greuter Furt, uh, you know, probably not gonna be in that one, unfortunately. But Hamburg there, like so you've got traditional German giants that have been so badly run for so many years not getting that playoff spot maybe against Dusseldorf it looks like like that's going to be a spicy one because Dusseldorf also quite a large um, 
city and following and whatever. Uh, so that would be interesting and, and a tragedy. Hopefully they do get to play that out. See, I'm very much in for you playing here, James. I like the playing. Yeah, no, definitely, and that, that, that's the thing. It's, it, it'll be interesting to see if you know, kind of like June, July, July, August. I mean, would you just? I mean, I'm not 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 trying to attach you to any any kind of like wild proclamation. Knutson from Statsbomb says this. But <laughs> is there a, is there a line is there a line in your mind that you think that this that that any season shouldn't go past? Like you know, should the should the 1920 season have finished by? A specific point do you think is right or is is it always going to be a case of like well we got to kind of like run the tv deal through well, and find a way i think that's it. it like the the amount of money that's left on the tv deals but also like you know plenty of these media companies want to have i mean continue to have relationships right and and souring your relationship with one of the the league vendors like that's that's a pretty bad idea so now you're just like looking for potential concessions and to make sure that everybody survives and um and i i think that's fairly important um i think the other thing that that hits me is like the second order effect which is basically what happens to all the uefa competitions i tell you yeah i was, I was almost i was gonna mention that and i i think with no evidence or, or kind of like broad uh, information here, it feels like you you just they're just not going to get done. They're they? how, they're the ones that are most likely to get cancelled. It feels like of the yeah. top leagues. Like I think the top leagues right. will will hold out as long as possible. Spain seem to be like taking this far more seriously and more conservatively because they have had one of the the most harsh outbreaks. Um, and 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 again, like we saw so much media about Italy, but you look at the curves on on the death rates and the growth rates and everything like that. And Spain actually has been hit harder. I think overall than the Italian curves, um, and, and and you know England to some extent by choice, but whatever. Like the the government, even even if you wanted to complete um, complete like Champions League and Europa League thing, I think that, I don't know at best, at absolute best, you, you'd be looking at a kind of like week long mini tournament knockout kind of one match thing or something. And mm. I, I I I don't even think you'd be. At, they're going to be able to find slot in a slot in the calendar for, for this well and that's um, the big question it, right like are we start trying to start back in september is everyone isolated for the rest of the year that works in football like this is it's a, it's a wildly complex problem and i think one of the reasons why very few places have even pitched solutions to this is because of the complexity and the uncertainty of how to how to go about dealing with this um you know like testing is going to be a huge deal i think for the back half of the year and almost no one has the capacity to test correctly right now i i didn't even realize this by the way but la liga kind of backdoored themselves into a, a very tight competitive race not only at the top between barcelona and real madrid again but also like that that fourth fifth slot i kind of knew about and then fourth fifth six with with atletico madrid right there as well like yeah <laughs> that that's a champions league spot that's pretty spicy yeah, no, t- totally. I mean, you know, it'd be a shame to see Hatafe miss out on 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 a space after they've done so well this season. They could have drifted at the end of the season naturally, but we, you know, we just probably don't know at the moment. Yeah, and Atletico being out of there is 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 certain, certainly news news at this point. Um, yeah, it's a uh, it's it's a funny old funny old spot. Should we move on, Ted? Uh, yeah, it's boring to talk about PSG again, I guess. <laughs> yeah, Francis. Francis kind of like naturally, naturally organised PSG at the top. Marseille second, uh, Ren and Lille in kind of like Euro slots as well. One quick and question then, for you though, James. Do you think that um, all the records from and all of the stats from the season should exist? Like, should they be maintained, or are, like we just wiping yeah. out the season? Nah, it happened. Exactly, it happened, man. 
So you know, it's all it's all data points, isn't it? And yeah, I mean, it would just it would just be it would just be weird if it if if, if we just if this this idea that we're going to void the season and um and it, as if it never happened. Um, I like I <laughs> I. Uh, yeah, I've been a horse racing fan in my in my history, and the occasion you get a void race for some reason, and it doesn't kind of it doesn't quite like enter the record books, even if it's essentially been completed, and it's like, yeah, <laughs> but it's still a data point because it did happen to all intents and purposes, and like multiply that by seven months of football, and you can't just say like, oh no, that none of it ever happened. That would just be absurd. Yeah, so I, I have a very. It's, it's just a, it's just a big asterisk over over everything, and but a, a, a light asterisk that doesn't have any any fundamental meaning. I, I have had one uh, or two matches that I traded back in my gambling days get voided because of riots. And, right. and I think those were usually positive voids for me. Uh, so, you know, I, I, <laughs> I think of voids with fondness, but usually only on a game-by-game basis. <laughs> yeah, whether yeah, whether you agree with the decision, may, 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 there may be personal reasons for that. But, yeah, you can't, you can't just avoid it. There's enough that's happened... Uh, I think the the throwback, the interesting point, is that was World War Two. World War Two broke out after about three games of the season, so it was just like, oh yeah, screw this, <laughs> don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, very. And that was fine. And, and this isn't a, a war, you know. This is like humans dealing with a virus and, and a public health concern. Yeah, but, but as you know, as, as a kind of like what to do when you can't play the football, it was you know that was that was easily resolved, and this is less so. So yeah, uh, what to do, Ted? <laughs> I think because I didn't have a clue. Am I the coffee I put, here or the dog? That's up to you, <laughs> and the world is the fire. But yeah, <laughs> got the got the old. Uh, okay, this is fine, there. James. The, this this is, is fine. Everything is fine, me up. Right. What's what's next? We're going to look at pro scouting for a little bit. So all right, uh, because this is a project that we've been working on. I I took these this this quote from uh, from your introductory piece because uh, this is what we're doing. It's a subscription based service that offers customers an opportunity to access our professional service in a broader, more comprehensive way than ever before. Throughout the course of the year, we are delivering objective evaluations on more than 200 players, complete with data analysis, at least two independent scouting reports per player, injury history, and more. We also analyze the player's current ability and their potential ability to help customers gauge the level the players can play at, both now and in the future. And this is a project that we've been working on for most of the year, and well, in fact, before we, we uh, installed it and started on it um, in uh, autumn. And uh, it's, it's kind of the the analysis department's you know, main project so far. But what we thought we'd do is we'd pick a player and kind of like discuss them a little bit. And uh, so hopefully someone that's a little bit under the radar that people don't know about. And yeah. Anything you'd like to add to that, Ted? Uh, yeah, we started it because like we kept getting occasional inbounds on, you know, can you help us find a player for this position? Um, and as I, I've said before, we do manager searches for teams, and that's been a pretty regular thing since StatsBomb started uh, because like we, we search for things objectively. We've got a pretty wide net, um, pretty well connected in the world of football now. And so we, we potentially source you know, managers of particular styles or or whatever. That's normal for us. The the player stuff, like teams tend to play things pretty close to the vest, but often they'll come to us with, hey, we need this type of player in this position. This is our budget um, and this is what we're looking for. Can you help us find, you know, five or 10, um, you know, good potential fits for this that fit fit that set of information and but one of the, one of the, one of the things is we've got good data as well haven't we and it's our data that we use for our projects <laughs> right and and having data all around the world like helps you find more players that might fit this profile that are cheaper like the more players you have that fit a fit a profile or have a skill set 
the less you should have to pay overall because like there's a supply of these players, simple supply and demand. Uh, but the reason why we kind of did it in this product way is because it's it's very difficult to spin up and run an analytics team and then spin it back down again and have it wait for three months or six months or whatever. Also, we have like a great deal of expertise in doing this now. We've been doing this since like 2013 off and on, at least independently I have. And as a company, you know, like we, we went through thousands of players over the course of like the 2014 to, to, to currently like it might even be at like 10,000 players. Uh, so that having data helps you find more of these players. It helps you better profile them, what their skill sets are, which is hugely valuable. I talked to one team uh, along the way a couple of years ago, and basically they said that we kept getting um, kept getting lists of players from uh, a certain data group. But unfortunately, like we were trying to replace this player that was a forward and he was a good scorer, but, you know, very much with his feet and passer and makes runs. And like half of the list that we got back was all big men, which was not at all what we needed. But we had to, the only way we could really figure that out was by scouting each and every one of them and then realizing this is a big man that didn't play in the, in the style that we needed. So like that takes two seconds with data. And, and that's why yeah. like data is like so valuable. It saves you so much time. So anyway, we, we turned all of these, these potential inbounds that came off and on, and we decided that we were just going to make a full product out of it. We were going to, we were going to really churn up, um, our ability to look through players. We do like 200 reports. So you're getting like basically four a week, uh, throughout the course of the year of, of high quality players and you get our analysis. And today we're talking into, into that a little bit, you know, partly because we're filling the the content hole, but also partly because like it's fun. Like I like talking about players, and I, I love the the whole process of uncovering new players and scouting. So today, I believe we're going to talk about a particular player. Do you want to tell everybody who this is? It's a guy called Romano Schmidt who plays for Wolfsburger in the Austrian league. Wolfsburger, and and he's uh, on loan from Werder Bremen. And as we met him. Eagle-eyed amongst you may have noticed, uh, Werder Bremen are in the relegation battle uh, in uh, Bundesliga this season. So that that is an intriguing nod to, as, as to the players' potential future availability, uh, because uh, you know he's already on loan. Maybe he's one for the future there. But maybe if they did get relegated, he's going to be more available. Anyway, he, I've got a photo up here. Of uh, do you recognise the guy in the photo? S- top right, Sven Sprengler. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, James, <laughs> this was hilarious because I, I watched some footage today. Because uh, I, I was, I, I didn't watch uh, watch uh, Romano Schmid when we were, when we were doing the, the project. Um, that's not my that's not my role. Uh, Nikos Overhill kind of oversees this project, and we have scouts that, that watch the players in general. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought it was hilarious because I watched a little bit of him just to get an idea about him. And uh, Sven Sprangler came on. And why Sven Sven Sprangler? Interesting because. Way back when he was someone, he was someone that always like always came up well in kind of various kind of data searches. Um, I don't know, not every not every data data guy will ever will hit obviously, and this Wrangler's probably had a perfectly respectable uh, career. But yeah, I just thought it was quite, it was kind of funny that he was in this in the same team as uh, the, the very young Schmidt, who's only twenty. So uh, yeah, <laughs> good old Spr- Sven Sprangler celebrating with him. Yeah, people. For, uh, for I, I think we talked a little bit about the. I think when we first started doing these live pods about um, 
some of the early Brentford days and and the scouting list that we had and stuff like that. And Austria was quite interesting to us because it's just dirt cheap at the time. And there there is good talent that comes through Austria. Often the Bundesliga teams will get them when they're still at the academy level. So the Germans will just like hoover up the the top tier of the the best Austrians. And then sometimes they cycle back and they they go back to Austria. Anyway, so Sven Sven's pretty interesting. Um, I think when when I was talking to Nikos, uh, he said that he plays as as a, like a wide sort of winger, but also as a defensive midfielder with... Uh, or not- Romano Schmidt here, not Sven, yeah? Uh, I'm sorry, Schmidt, yeah, Schmidt. Yeah. Uh, Romano Schmidt, right. Yep. Um, damn it, James, you screwed me up already. Yeah, so Romano Schmidt, <laughs> pretty interesting. Um, sort of a wide player, but also does a lot of defensive work. <clears throat> yes? Yeah, no, this, this is true. He kind of plays everywhere. He, I, I, what, the footage I watched, uh, he was kind of... <laughs> the first thing I looked at, he was like, right, he's played kind of leftish. And he looked a bit like Aiden Hazard. He's kind of quite quite stocky and little, not too tall. And he's really quite good on the ball. Can uh, you know kind of work his way out of small, uh, tight situations. Elite dribbler, but in, very rapid. But yeah, but 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 in actual fact, he, he rarely plays in that position. He mainly plays on the kind of like right midfield role. And it's interesting because we we chucked, chucked him through our kind of like comparison uh, algorithm just to see who he came up with, and then referred back to Nikos and said, you know, do any of these you know things kind of like add up add up for you? And Oxley Chamberlain was the one that he, he said was um, was you know potentially. Uh, you know the the most kind of like valid comparison there in so far as you know a real energy guy in a kind of like slightly wide cent- but central midfield role and i think i think Wolfsburg are playing a kind of diamond so um it's kind of yeah it's it's not wide right but it's kind of you know t- t- towards that direction that is is the position that he plays in quite frequently um, everybody loves yeah, so the dribbler that, james that all the scouts it's their favorite thing <laughs> Dri- dribblers are the best players yeah, I mean that's 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 something that I I kind of I, you know intrinsically push back against because I I do I've, I've definitely said this before that uh, the the dribblers the dribblers always scout well don't they they you know they they beat them and they get the get the get the crowd excited and and people think oh that's that's a player <laughs> and uh, yeah sometimes they are but not not always but yeah Schmidt Schmidt's got got a nice volume of dribbles on his um on his record so he's he's looks looks quite tidy on here energy wise pressure pressure wise via our pressure metrics he comes up really well so he kind of he's one of these does a bit of everything kind of guys uh you know just like i say the oxley chamberlain comp- comparison oxley chamberlain always comes up really highly in in uh like our pressure events that we collect and um obviously has you know two real two two-way kind of um ability you know with a, a Push towards probably more more attacking than than you know for kind of like physical defensive work. Um, Two of the knocks on yes, Schmidt are that like he's not a great passer yet, but he's still very young, so like that might be useful. And then ball security is occasionally a problem. Uh, as you know, four turnovers a match, uh, you know, high volume, sure, and his his dribbling is still very good. Uh, wins a couple fouls a game too. Uh, I was looking back at uh, at Ronaldinho today, and I actually posted a radar. And he was he yeah. was like completing like three point five dribbles and had like three and a half fouls against him a game. You're like, man, <laughs> and that's hungover, yeah. right? Yeah. I should mention Zidane, but no, that's not good. So uh, we'll break that. No, back we, we that should. This is a great. Episode. This is a great conversation. So uh, we're we're gonna, we're gonna derail <laughs> this. Uh, it's not even ours. It's it's Pablo and and particularly you and Dewar's fault. But uh, there there have been. Ongoing lengthy discussions in Statsbomb Slack this week on the merits of Zinedine Zidane versus Rooney. Wayne Rooney. The, the comparison, exactly. Isn't it? And, and most yeah. of this started because 
um, a somewhat strong belief that, that Wayne Rooney is is not respected well enough, and his his contributions have been extremely good over the course of his career, uh, and and so you know young Rooney especially was was a dynamo. Um, you know, if, if we had pressing metrics, like he'd be like he and Carlos Tevez are, are the two guys that I think that were, they <laughs> yeah, were yeah. forwards in England that I would love to see under, under pressure metrics. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so like Rooney being able to score and assist, play multiple positions, very good passer, great football brain, um, a kind of slightly unusual build to some extent. He's extremely strong and moderately stocky, but you know, not that sort of crazy dribbler. I think that we've seen over the time. And then you get to Zidane, and we don't really have many stats on Zidane, but like the reputation is there, and the reputation has been enhanced by the fact that he's won so many Champions Leagues with Real Madrid as a manager. <laughs> but you started yeah, sure, you started sure. digging into this, and and you definitely have a perspective on this. Yeah, no, I mean, I I think one of the interesting things is because like we've some of the historical games that we have got like with data for Zidane on. What I noticed about it was, and these are games that people have watched, you know, the TV games, international games, particularly. Uh, he was he was essentially the the kind of like the focal point of the team. He he had the ball more than anyone else. He made more passes than anyone else. He made more passes high up the pitch more than anyone else. He also did a bit of everything. He was he capable dribbler, beat you know, most games he beat a few players, so he'd look out in that way. He he was on set pieces at times. Um he did some defensive work and of course the the, the kind of the, the obvious knock against Zidane in, in his historical kind of like comparisons is when you just look at there's one Juve season I think he got two goals and two assists and you think right this guy's playing in the number 10 attacking midfielder and he got two goals two assists what the hell is that you know you expect that from a defensive midfielder and so yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting that certainly in in these like bigger tournaments, Zidane uh, Zidane was was the absolute heartbeat and the most prominent and noticeable player in the, in especially the France teams that he played in, and uh, you know to some degree the the Real Madrid uh, teams that he played in. Um, but yeah, Real Madrid didn't win that much with him. Um, so and Juve got to a couple of Champions League finals that they lost with him. So yes, yeah, meanwhile it's, it's, Wayne it's Rooney a fascinating run debate. A I don't really want to lean too hard into it right now but yeah there's there's a uh, yeah Ro- it's interesting yeah sure <laughs> Rooney won a lot of titles um you know on on some very good teams like was you know I get not fortunate enough to be part of that but you know deservedly part of of United uh era that was outstanding and then like I have the strong belief that like David Moyes and an LVG like really robbed us of a couple of of still quite good Rooney years um by you know the way that they played and then like van hal in particular just the the pace of his teams was so embarrassingly slow <laughs> that he killed his attacking players absolutely killed them there was no reason that they should have like that low of output for like how good that team was but he didn't let them attack so i'm pretty sure this is an old ben pugsley opinion that i've i've adopted along the way but that that, that rooney was like a, a fantastic side man like you know when he was when he was when he had Tevez and Ronaldo around him it almost like kind of elevated him obviously I mean he was just the ideal player for that for that kind of role to be like one of one of a great team and later on he was maybe maybe he was the best player in some of those later Man United teams and and you know didn't have didn't have the guys to riff off as as he did in in prior years it's probably harder to prove that I, I don't know like you know again he he would have had to trust them too relationships matter like you know your how how you play with these players matters um 
you, the the Michael Jordan documentaries appeared on on ESPN. The, mm. the first two episodes of the Last Dance, and and those all have different you know opinions on on how guys fit in with that group. And you know, Scotty Scotty is so My, Michael Jordan in, in the second era of those last uh, the last three titles, like had two historic players around him. In fact, possibly two of the top twenty five, especially for what they did. Uh, Pippen, Pippen was you know a ball handler, but also a super elite defender, like almost impossible to to beat off a dribble. Good wing defender, and obviously good on the break, and and could create his own shot and stuff like that. But also, you know, he, he didn't demand to be the main man like you know Jordan uh, yeah, was. Yeah. And then you have Rodman, who is the the most freakish athlete I I can actually remember being involved in in professional sport. And and this sounds like it's it's hyperbole, but it is not. This guy didn't even go to school until he was age 22. He came into the NBA at age 25. <laughs> and yeah, and then that, he still very did that. Very few there? So yeah, it's, it, he, he's almost impossible. And, and there's that um, skeptical sports piece that has been out there for ages. And it is one of the historic sports analysis pieces on Dennis Rodman and why he yeah, is yeah. so insanely good. So, yeah, definitely if you get a chance, go back to that. Anyway, I think we were talking about some kid who plays in Austria right now. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move. we got more slides for them, right. for Schmidt. We like Schmidt. We like Schmidt. What have we got next? Move We've on. got shots and defensive pressures. Yeah, just to get an idea, his shooting isn't too too hot. I mean, there's only 43 shots we got there, and he's behind his expected goals by half. It's not great. It's early days. Uh, yeah, pressure. I mentioned mentioned his pressure events earlier. That he's kind of sixth in the league, really active, kind of like pushing towards that sideline. Uh, you, you know, you can see where he's where he's playing, uh, kind of like the right side of that diamond, and how it's kind of meant, meant that he's congregated there. But yeah, he is he's like relatively versatile as, as to where he's where he's uh, where he can play across across a midfield, and you know maybe even like in other positions as well. Um, yeah, not not a whole lot to add there. Some of that short selection is a little bit wafty. We have actual scouting reports here, which is another thing that we do for the the professional yeah, scouting well, this, project. Yeah, this would this I thought this was interesting just to just to see, you know see what the actual scouts got because they they generally agreed. I mean, they both both thought that he you know was was a good player um, and you know versatile and technical skills kind of thing and could already play in the top five leagues. Uh, that's that's something something that I think you know, really kind of shines out you know, when, when you when you get scouts on the same page uh, it's 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 interesting and obviously the, the kind of like profile that we've talked about here uh, and the fact that he's performing quite well at the level he's at already at a very young age is highly yeah highly encouraging encouraging so um, we don't have our scouts watch yeah. the same matches either so you know it's- yeah exactly so th- this is the thing it's not it's not a case of uh, you know just preaching to the converted or whatever it is um you know we, we want honest opinions from, from our scouts it's, there's an absolutely no point in them going out there and just like you know re- returning with a yes another great player <laughs> we we need as as strong information as we can well get. So, exactly like we have them watch you know four to five matches um per player and you know we we don't have you know 37 scouts on staff like some professional teams but we use data to really sort of lever up and be able to have a much bigger spread on finding quality players and the fact that you know we've covered 40 competitions this year including ones that are somewhat unusual like serbia or italy syria b or croatia or poland um all in the data set next year we add places like korea 
um, uh, up to 70 competitions. So like we are looking to, you know, have as much data around the world to be able to find these sort of, you know, unpolished or potential gems that, you know, people don't know about. And, and then you use scouting to make sure that it fits what, what's going on there. Um, so yeah, like it's, it's been an interesting, fun process. And yeah, I, I think we're doing really good work and you know, it, <laughs> every single week, four more to get done. <laughs> Yeah, we've got uh, we've got his, the last slide here is just his executive summary that we actually put together for the report, just to give give people an idea of how we how we look at that. We got that one up. Yeah, I just I popped it up. It's already there. Oh, of course, there we go. Yeah, so uh, you know, that, that just just kind of like you know, what what is he good at, and you know, what, where where do we think you could go, and uh, potential ability, we think is potentially kind of like Europa League level in uh, top five leagues. Um, needs to work on giving the ball away less, but <laughs> yeah, he's an interesting player and. Um, yeah, certainly, certainly one, certainly one to watch for the future, and uh, one that one that we found, uh, you know, found interesting, interesting to look at. And I know Nikos, who who I think probably probably found him in the first place, uh, was quite enamoured with him. So yeah, it was it's good to good to have a look at him. What else we got to talk about, Ted? A duck. <laughs> <laughs> right. So yeah, that's the football done. So if anyone's if anyone was just here for the football, uh, then we're now going to talk about uh, uh, the wire. Season two, season two, um, which uh, which was I've I've watched for the first time recently. Uh, Ted's watched back um, just to kind of uh, get an idea about you know, what what that was all about again. Uh, what do you, what, do you want to lead lead this, Ted? Do you want to steer where we go here? Uh, sure. I part of my my fun is like listening to you because I've I've done this before. <laughs> but uh, season two in the wire is kind of the outlier season and in many cases right. is somewhat controversial because yeah you know, we've we've completely changed the setting from season one uh you change sort of like half the cast of characters and it sets up with jimmy mcnulty getting his wish as it were or 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 the opposite of uh after after season one has gone so badly mcnulty finds himself exiled to the boats and he hates the boats and that was the last place he wanted to be but Landsman remembered that and told that to Rawls. Uh, so now he has been kicked out to the boats because of you know him being a pain in the ass and not cooperating enough with the police brass in season one. And it, it's set up around the the port and uh, the Stevedores Union. So the guys that basically bring in the the containers and and customs stuff off of the boats. And and there's this underlying current of some drug stuff, but really it's it's different. And and so my yeah. my question for you is. Is it different good, different bad? Like, how did you, what did you think about this season in particular? Yeah, it was, it, it's, it's still very good. But I think one of the, one of the like underlying uh, factors here is season one wrapped up, I thought, very quickly and, and almost too quickly, kind of like solved a few problems. Season two, you very much get the idea that it's like, right, now we've got another season. We might get more seasons. Now we have to work out how to, like, uh, navigate through this and i think the whole kind of uh doc uh plot line is it kind of enables that it takes about four or five episodes before you get the cops back together you know getting the band back together to go and work on a project which is what you really want from the from episode one you're like where are my cops that i like from the first series doing their cop stuff it's very and, uh, deliberate so my wife was sitting next to me <laughs> watching most of this like we were uh, I said I had to watch it for work. She's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I don't mind this. <laughs> but the other thing that she she's noticing is it's really hard to understand 
a lot of the, the sort of Baltimore and especially the street slang that comes, you know, very fast and sometimes quite mumbly. Like in what? in this show in particular, they they allow character actors to really inhabit the characters, and in many cases, the character actors are the characters. These are people from like that period of of time that they wanted to tell the story. Now we'll get to that a little more in in the coming seasons, but um, you know it's. It was not worried about going fast, and in some cases, like it, it might almost be, you couldn't get away with it. it you know, fifteen years later, like it might be too slow. But because season one was so good, and they they knew what they had, really, now they could really kind of get tucked into this storytelling that is not fast paced. Now, Ewan thinks that this is the best season. A guy named Skipjack thinks is the best season. What did you think, in, just in comparison to season one? Um. Hmm. Comparable. Uh, yeah, it's 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 different. Like I said, I I feel like a lot of it was a lot of it. Would, they were consciously kind of like recalibrating it throughout the season. It's 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 really strong. It's really really thoroughly entertaining throughout. Um, I, I I like I like the fact that you know um I think this this is probably going to be a theme throughout. Like McNulty tries to reconcile it with his, with his wife, and most programs I think most programs he would have got somewhere. And he kind of, and, and and in this he he kind of gets somewhere as in he spends a night with his his ex wife, and then it's just like nah, it's not gonna happen, mate. And it just kill, crushes it. And that, yeah. this happens for everyone's dreams get crushed in the world. Well, That's the and, thing. and this this season <laughs> happens because McNulty's being a pain in the ass, right? Yeah, like yeah. The, the whole yeah, he, the whole you know. Uh, CID stuff, special crimes unit comes back together because McDulty's trying to piss off his past boss, and he ends up hanging like fourteen bodies on the the, the murder yeah, Rawls, police. Rawls is really funny in this season because he's just constantly trying to get out of this miserable bloody load of murders that they've got to solve. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, we can tip to the whole you know, like union union storyline because you got Frank Sabotka who's who's a union man and he just does everything for his union. And he's got he's got quite he's quite quite a likable nephew uh, who's who's very involved with the dodgy stuff. And then the most probably the most dislikable character I've ever seen in a TV show Ziggy. is his son Ziggy. Ziggy. What an absolute tool! <laughs> Honestly, he did, I mean, not to so, spoiler alert. Anything, I rarely have I rooted for a for a for a for a uh, character to be killed, but <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely was feeling like every every single scene. He makes a twat of himself and just re- doesn't read any conversation he has and is annoying. <laughs> and uh, yeah, finally, finally, finally commits murder and gets carted off to jail, which is, I guess, a compromise that I can live with. But what an absolute pratty. Yeah, so in addition to having a pet duck that ended up having like a, a diamond necklace or a diamond collar around his neck, that also ends up, I'm not, this is a spoiler. If you haven't seen season two of The Wire, well, that happened like, you know. 17 years ago so fuck off uh but but dies from drinking whiskey because obviously possibly i know i mean that was a really weird surprise like why is he why is he now gonna just i guess he's just what an idiot he absolutely absolutely was and i i think the the way it all sets up like you know the 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 greeks although the guy was not a greek in the end but the greeks that run the run the harbor uh the the dodgy stuff around the harbor uh they they're they're a little bit kind of broad villainy but they they work pretty well with it within the whole setup, and um, there are very few yeah, likable characters in this season. Like, outside of the the police people who are part of the that main unit, there are very few likable characters. You don't really get attached to to the guys, I think, in the way that you do in um, 
in sort of the drug trade, especially in season one and, and later. Like, you know, right. you're you're not on this show being like, why'd they have to do Wallace like that? You know, like, why didn't they do Ziggy like that is what you're telling me here. And Frank Sabaka is yeah, not yeah. actually particularly likable. And 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 Pacuso is not likable. And, you know, you do get Bodhi in, in this, but, you know, kind of in a, in a slightly different, you get a little more Bodhi actually than, than the drug trade. But we get stuck back into prison and the prison stuff is like not very exciting. And that goes down and they end up, um, basically finding a way to tie up the D'Angelo character, but also set up laser seasons with uh, with sort of. Um, I'm not going to spoil that, although I know you've already dipped into season three, you asshole. <laughs> yeah. I, I think like Nikki is the only only real guy that I find like particularly likable outside of maybe the the Greek and his organization. So like we suddenly like those criminals I find slightly compelling. And Brother Muzon, Brother yeah. Muzon's great. Brother, yeah, I mean Brother Muzon, like is the whole thing, like. He comes in for like two episodes and then he's gone. And it's like, that that ain't the end of Brother Muzon. No way. (laughs) Brother Muzon, Butchie, and Omar, you know, like very much man gotta have a code. Like, and they they understand in the game and stuff like that. So that's pretty enjoyable overall. Do you see Stringer Bell? Stringer Bell in reality yesterday saying that we should have a week lockdown every year as a tribute. Wow, I, I did not see that. <laughs> in reality, yeah, he's not he's not Idris Elvis me anymore. He's Stringer Bell. Yeah, he, so. he is. String is amazing. I, I never knew that. What are you saying, String? Yeah. <laughs> what kind of crazy talk is this? Do you find it hard to understand? Like, or at least initially. Now you're two seasons into this, so maybe it's a little easier. No, no, I don't. I don't, I don't find that at all. I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of special localized language. A lot of racial epithets. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, certainly. I, I, I no, I, I, I find it perfectly, perfectly followable. But you know, it depends. Uh, maybe, maybe it depends. So, it's just so having things. rewatched this, I, I, you know, I, I think the last time I rewatched, I, I haven't seen season two, maybe since the first time I watched. So I skipped it last time. I, I stayed just with the, the sort of drug, uh, trade stuff. And I rewatched it and I felt very much the way that I did the first time, which is that this was a bit of an interlude and mm. that it is very deliberate. Like that first half of the season is super deliberate. Um, and I don't think it's as strong as the the rest of the the storylines. It's absolutely fine. It's a okay. great show, but I think that you know compared to one, three, and four, it is not. Yeah, in that I can I can understand why that might be the case because it does feel like it's yeah, it's a sidestep. You know, some of the stuff around and I know I know that kind of it comes up in later series about uh, like political mass and machinations and stuff that was definitely set up. In Shit, Clayton sets up in this one. <laughs> and it and it you know it didn't it didn't go in that direction because it was it was solving its own problems and yeah i mean i i can see how uh like yeah i've watched some of season three already and no no one has recurred from the, this plot line um you were such a traitor they, they may re- they may recur later but you, you can you can you can see it. it's 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 self-contained uh to some to some regard um and yeah, I think yeah, solving solving the problem of like how can I get these cops that I like to be all be working on the same project from in future series is 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 something that it has to reconcile throughout. I mean, it gets them back together about halfway through the series and they're working, and then you know because it's easy to forget about series series one. Like a lot of a lot of series one was just kind of like I don't know. I guess it was McNulty trying to bounce around like where was he going to work and trying to like you know get stitched up by rules and all this kind of stuff and like the the unit as it as it transpired to be uh that was it was a little bit fluid as well at that point um yeah so 
eventually you've got although it's a complete ensemble cast you've got to get to a point where it's like right okay we do like some of these characters and we want them to be in scenes together therefore we need to <laughs> cover that together it's stuff like omar and um and bubbles obviously are popular characters within the show like they don't they don't necessarily need to exist within uh the universe of season two certainly um but they do and they're kept in, and we follow their stories. There are and, an insane you know, number obviously of characters. Obviously, they're, 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 they're you know, consistent throughout the whole whole run, as far as I'm There's aware. There's just a crazy number of characters that they juggle throughout this whole thing. And and you're, and some of them are, are you know, genuinely great characters. I, I think one of the, the things I noticed in, in this particular season is that Daniels becomes like pretty likable. And in, in that first season, yeah. like you weren't really sure if he was like okay. Yeah, whose side was he on, kind of thing. Yeah. And, and they, it's just like, nah, he's, he's he's given up trying to rise through the ranks, kind of thing by now, because it's just like, oh, screw it, I'm gonna be, I'll just, yeah, because you, yeah, you're, you're whether you support him or not, it, early days is 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 dubious. You know, you're not sure whether you, whether you're with him or not, or whether he's with them or not, kind of thing. Yeah, and you get some good bunk time and, and Lester time, which always love i think it also does a pretty good job of of giving you that little glimpse behind the scenes not just with mcnulty and his sort of private life but also with uh with kima's private life with daniel's private life um you know like the cost of of like being a, a real police and, and and even bd i think they they talk about you know what happens if we need mm. to do a raid and and stuff like that and I, I think the you know in in the first time we talked about the wire like i was just like really impressed by like the sound like the background sound feels real you know mm. and and here like you know the it feels real that you're talking about the cost of pursuing this job that is consuming in a lot of ways and and it's probably not just true on the police side but it's also true on the drug side too yeah it's like working with stats bomb i'm joking i'm joking whoa <laughs> And on that note, <laughs> sat there late at night looking at football stats. He's like, I, "I've got to live the job, man." Yeah. So if you haven't seen James's no, James's side projects lately because he's so bored, he's been doing uh, track and field uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> statistics, and most I recently, I might write something every Sunday. The horses, about some random topic or something. And I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. We've got to amuse ourselves in these tough times, Ted. This is it. Yeah. It's true. All right. So just to, to recap, on Thursday, we've got Emma Hayes at 3 p.m. Uh, UK time. And then sign up for either the introduction to football uh, analytics course on StatsBomb. Uh, we, that one you can take anytime you want. But particularly next week, there's a webinar uh, from Monday through Thursday. I am teaching uh, coaching and designing set pieces. If you have interest, like definitely sign up. I'm not sure that I'm going to teach it again this year. Uh, and then each day I will recap sort of, cust- uh, not customer, but um, student questions. And we'll cover uh, the interesting stuff uh, on that. So thank you very much for listening, everybody. I hope you've enjoyed it. And, and thanks, James. <laughs> no worries. Take it easy. Bye.